Welcome to the podcast of Hope Community Church. Hope exists to be a church where people can experience the transformative power of the gospel in the context of grace-centered community. We strive to be real people looking to the real Jesus for real change that can have redemptive impact among individuals, local communities, our city, and the world. For more information, visit hopecommunity.com. Well, good morning again. As I said before, I'm AK, uh, the pastor of Youth and Family Ministry. Um, and it's fun to be here on a Sunday. Emma Grace and Aaron, they, they lit the candle for us. They're a couple of our leaders. And I saw Rachel, who else? Andrew. Um, we have a few of our youth leaders here this morning. And I, anytime I get a chance to do this from up front, I just want to say thank you to them uh, for the way they, they serve. Um, they don't, they're not up front. They don't get seen. Um, but they're a gift to our church, the way they love our students, our families, and they're a gift to me as well. So hear me say that to y'all. Thank you. Um, and if you ever want to learn more about what's going on with the youth and family ministry, I, I would love to connect with you. Um, feel free to reach out to me or, or Mac Harris or Jen Crisp that are all, also on staff. But I'm not here just to, sorry, we were having trouble with this earlier. Um, a better, um, I'm not just here to give a plug for the Youth and Family Ministry. I I do have the joy of preaching uh, this morning. Um, And we're continuing in our study of the book of Mark. And we've titled the sermon series, Jesus, the One True King. And last Sunday, we looked at how Jesus, he calms the storm. In the last verse of chapter 4, you get this honest reaction from Jesus' disciples. It says, and they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. In our passage today, we are given another story that highlights the power of Jesus. Last week, we saw that Jesus has power over the natural world, the environment. And this morning, we're going to see how Jesus has power over the supernatural. So if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 5, or you can follow it on the screens behind me or in your bulletin, and starting in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea in the region of the Gerasenes. And as soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirit came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town, in the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. 
they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. And Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the gift of this morning that we get to stop and sit for a minute in this busy season. And I pray that this morning that you would give us ears to hear, that you would soften our hearts to the good news, the gospel, and that you would become more believable and more beautiful this morning. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So I I recently just watched the TV series, The Band of Brothers. I'd seen it once before, um, but it was so captivating as, as it was the first time to watch it. And I was actually talking with Aaron about this after the first service. He just watched it the first time. It's on Netflix now if you want to watch it. Um, but towards the end of the, the series, there's an epi- episode called The Reason We Fight. It's towards the end of the war. And the Easy Company, the, the band of brothers in this company that they follow throughout the show, they come across a concentration camp. And at this point in the war, the soldiers were unaware of just the, the horrible things, the horrific things were, that were happening at the concentration camps. And so as you see them experiencing this for the, f- the first time, you see just they're taking in this evil that's on full display as they're walking around and seeing um, these people that have been living in these harsh conditions, starved to death. Many had died. There was death and decay all around them, and this was all because of the harsh treatment of the German army. And here, they see that the enemy is obvious, the evil is sickening, and the reason to fight is clear. And in our passage today, we come up against evil. We come up against the enemy. But there's something that makes us, me included, uncomfortable as we read about this demon-possessed man. A quote that was helpful for me this week from C.S. Lewis in his intro from the book, The Screwtape Letters, kind of gives us these, these guardrails in a sense. He explains there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist, or a magician with the same delight. See, what Lewis is getting at there, he's explaining that if we just straight up deny evil, demonic forces, the devil, then we are tempted just to kind of see the natural world around us. What we see is what we get. And when we believe that, that distorts our reality. Yet there's a a ditch we can fall in on the other side if we just hone in and just focus too much on evil and the demonic then that also distorts our reality. And say probably most people in this room, myself included, we're probably in that first category of disbelief. Or maybe we believe that there is evil, there is a devil, but we don't 
really think about it often, the reality and weight of how it actually affects the world around us, we don't think about often. And for the most part, we kind of see the natural world as it is. Facts and science can explain everything. And even as I read this story, you're probably diagnosing this man in a sense and thinking, okay, what kind of psychological disorder does this man have? But scripture tells us, this passage tells us that he was captivated by an evil spirit. And maybe your head even goes to, well, they didn't really have these categories uh, when the Bible was written, so everything was kind of, okay, there's evil out there, so this man's sick, that's related to, to that. Matthew 4, verses 24 through 25 is helpful. It says, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. See, so in this passage, there's a differentiation between those that are demon-possessed and those that have epilepsy or those that are paralyzed or those that are just simply sick. And I think people back in that time, they're probably smarter than we give them credit for. They had these categories. See, Scripture is clear that there is evil, and the Bible assumes the reality of demons and Satan. I heard one minister explain it this way, and I think this is kind of how I treat it. Um, treat demons. They're a lot like germs. I know that they exist and they're real and dangerous, but if I pretend they don't exist, like blowing a piece of food that has fallen on the floor, then I don't have to be worried. But if you have small kids and your house has been wrecked by a stomach bug, you know how terrible germs can be. They can wreck your entire world for a little bit. And that's what we see going on in this man who's possessed, these demons have wrecked his life. And so Peter also gives us this warning in his first letter. He writes, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. See, there is a battle taking place. I love the way the quote on the front of your bulletin explains it. It says, the awful thing is that beauty is mysterious as well as terrible. God and the devil are fighting there, and the battlefield is the heart of man. And see, there is a battle that we are in the middle of, and that battle is for the affections of our heart. And that's the very thing we see going on in this possessed man. In verse 1, we see that the disciples have they've survived the storm. They've come to the other side of the sea, and they're in the region of the Gerasenes. This was Gentile territory, and so a, really a strange place for a group of Jews, the disciples, and Jesus to be. It's an unclean land, and in many ways, it's enemy territory. And it quickly becomes stranger as soon as they step onto the shore. They are met by this wild, unclean man, and we're told a good bit about him tells us that he lived in the tomb, so essentially he lived in a graveyard. He had been outcasted, rejected to live there alone. And verse 3 tells us that, that no one was able to restrain him anymore. So at some point, they were able to restrain him, but it's become so severe that evil inside him has become so strong, he is now unrestrainable. Shackles and chains no longer work. Physical strength no longer worked. People didn't have the smarts, the intellect, the wisdom to subdue him. 
And while he has great power and strength, he has no control over it. We're told that he's not clothed. He's a wild animal howling in the night. And he's cutting himself. He's known as the man with the unclean spirit. That's become his very identity. The evil within him has driven him away from community, family, and friends. He's lonely, self-loathing, and hopeless. He seems like a lost cause, and he's treated that way. So now what I want to do is shift a little bit, and while we might not think we have much in common with this man, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can admit that we are. There's more inside us going on than, than meets the eye, that we all came pretty pre- presentable this morning. There is a battle going on inside. Have you ever felt lonely, self-loathing, or hopeless? Have you ever done something that you were ashamed of and fearful that if it was discovered, you'd be pushed out of your family or your community? Maybe you struggle with addiction or a perpetual sin and you're overwhelmed by the power that it has over you. Maybe you've tried to quit that thing that you know is destroying your life, yet again and again, you don't have the strength to gain control. Maybe you've used an internet filter with an attempt like chains to bind you, to restrain you. Maybe you've invited a few friends in to to hold you accountable, yet that force that's in you, you just keep giving in. Or maybe you're so lonely and numb that cutting yourself has become the only way that you feel. I don't talk about these things lighthearted. There's a a serious battle that is taking place. Listen to the way that that Jesus describes Satan in John chapter 8. He says, speaking of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie... He speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. See, when evil is at play in our lives, a lot of the the ways it presents itself is is lies. A lot of the ways lies take root in our lives is shame. I think that's probably the way that I've experienced evil in my own life. And a lot of people I've talked to that go to this church experience a lot of shame as well. Kurt Thompson, who wrote the book, The Soul of Shame, he, in a podcast, he explains it this way. He says, in the biblical narrative, shame is one of the things that evil actively uses to disintegrate our human relationships. Evil does its work by isolating the conversation. I think evil is smart and knows that shame operates in isolation most effectively. And you see what's going on even in the story we've read. He's isolated. I'm sure shame is so loud, and in that isolation, that shame just becomes that much louder. See, like this man, each of us is affected by this fallen and broken world, and whether we know it or not, we are in a battle. Paul tells us in Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces, and heavens. See, what that paints a picture of is that we don't have strength to fight this battle alone. We need a greater power than what we can muster up on our own. Even if we are aware of the battle that we need to fight, we don't have the strength to overcome it. 
And so having thought about the man, how we relate to him, I want us to think about how Jesus moves throughout this passage, the way he pursues in the power that's on full display. Looking back, before they're even at this area, before Jesus and his disciples endured the storm, Jesus tells them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. And when Jesus says that, he has this man in mind. He knows that they're gonna go through this storm. They're getting to the other side of the sea to save this unclean man. And when they arrive on the shore, we are told that as soon as Jesus got out of the boat, as soon as his foot hits the shore, this wild, unrestrainable, rejected man comes running down to Jesus and he throws himself down at Jesus' feet. And he says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. The demon, he recognizes Jesus and he actually, he calls him by the first, his actual name. He tells him that he is the son of God and this is the first person that has acknowledged Jesus in that way in the book of Mark. And we're not told Jesus' body language or how he looked at this man, but we know that Jesus did not run away from him. He didn't run away from his wildness, from his brokenness. He was not afraid of the man or the evil that lived within the man when everyone had lost hope in this man. Jesus drew near. And Jesus tells this unclean spirit to come out of the man and Jesus asks the demon its name and the demon responds with, my name is Legion because we are many. And see, Legion was a Roman military term that meant roughly 3,000 to 6,000 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen. So the original reader, Jews and Gentiles alike, would have, this would have brought to mind an army of great power and number and organized force, great strength. And in the face of this army of evil and this demonic force, Jesus does not back down from the chaos of the storm that's going on inside this man. He has complete control over legion. The spirit begs, the spirits beg Jesus not to send him out of the region, and they beg to be sent into a herd of pigs. And Jesus permits this to happen, and the evil that lived within the man retreats to the herd of pigs, and then we're told that they run down the hill or off the cliff, and they drown in the sea. This is a strange story, and this ups the strangeness. And there are a few things that just in the strangeness that I, I don't want us to miss. I don't want it to get lost. The pigs drowning in the, sh- in the sea, it shows the destructive nature of this demonic force. It has the power to drive 2,000 pigs to its death. It's darkness and evil at play. And this is the same evil that was within this man. Also, the herd of pigs would have been someone's livelihood. Back then, they didn't have savings accounts, and so the way they accumulated wealth, one of the ways was through cattle. And so you can imagine that was a lot of money at the time. And here Jesus shows how great this man's soul is worth by choosing to save him as opposed to the pigs. There's no amount of money a wealth that is worth more to Jesus than saving this man's soul. And however, the townspeople, they feel different. I don't know if it was the wealth or just the craziness, the wildness that had just taken place, but they're afraid when they see the man sitting in his right mind and everything that had taken place, 
They do not rejoice. They don't celebrate the miracle that has taken place. They want Jesus to leave, to get out of there. They miss the goodness of Jesus. When I was studying for ordination, which is something all the ministers have to go through to, to be ordained, it's a, it's a heavy lift. And a lot of the process for me was pretty overwhelming. It's something you, you go to seminary and then you have to take all these oral, oral exams and written tests. And um, I felt bogged down by it. I was, I'm not like a, a student, um, a natural gifted student. So I had to work really hard. And as I was feeling overwhelmed and bogged down, one of the pastors, Matt Ham, did just a phenomenal job of coming beside me and loving me. And one of the questions he would always ask me is, how is it good news? He would ask that about the content, the scripture, the theological concepts that I was studying. And so much of that content had become information for me. It was no longer just the good news. And it was such this like magnetic north in a sense. It was so recalibrating for me to always ask myself, even as I was up on the floor being examined and being asked sometimes an obscure theological question, how is this good news? And I want us, I don't want us to miss the good news that's in this passage because I believe that it's, it's jumping out at us. We see what great lengths Jesus goes to rescue this man. And as you read through the Gospels, you see that it doesn't end there. Jesus comes to heal and restore, to bring hope to the hopeless. He has power over the supernatural, and he's come to forgive us of every sin we have ever committed. You see, the bad news is that we live in a fallen and broken world. We are affected by evil. There is a battle for our hearts. There are demons and the devil is real, but the good news is that Jesus is not afraid of any of that. He draws near. There's nothing you have done that is beyond the reach of God's grace and affections for you. Jesus wants you to run to him like this man does, and he wants, you to, he wants to bring restoration, redemption, and forgiveness into your life. And see, Jesus is able to do this. He's able to bring forgiveness into your life because he lays down his power. When Jesus is betrayed, when Judas kisses him on the cheek and the guards go to seize him, one of his disciples, Peter, he picks up his sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the high priest's servants, and Jesus steps in. Matthew 26, 52 to 54 tells us this. Then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Do you see what's happening there? Jesus could have called down not just a legion, but 12 legions in that moment to save himself. But what he does is he moves towards the cross. He lays down his power. He goes to the cross, takes the punishment that we deserve to save this demon-possessed man and us. He trades places with us. I love the way Tim Keller explains this. 
He says in explaining how Jesus is able to give us forgiveness, how we're able to have this redemption. He says, Jesus stripped naked, Jesus a prisoner, Jesus isolated and crucified outside the gate, Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the answer. Jesus was able to heal the demonic even though he was a sinner because eventually he exchanged places with him. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus could come into this man's life and heal him because Jesus died for him and paid the penalty and essentially bore all those things himself. He was stripped so we could be clothed. He was thrown into the deepest despair and agony so we could know God's love and forgiveness and have inner quietness. That is the good news. And I'm not sure where this lands with you today. Maybe you are like one of the standerbys and watching all this happen and you're like, this just happened, I want Jesus to get away from me. Or maybe you're like intrigued by who Jesus is but you're, you're just maybe not ready. What I would say to you is continue to come back and hear the truth about who Jesus actually is. But maybe you're in a place where you feel like you are this possessed man or you feel like evil is is swarming within you or you have this addiction that you can't let go of or this besetting sin. What I would say to you, if you've never received his grace and mercy, run to him. Let him restore you. Let his power loosen your life and receive his mercy and grace. I'd say, two, don't, don't do it alone. I would say go to one of the pastors here at Hope, someone on the women's shepherding team, someone in your community group, your community group leader. Don't do it alone. Don't be afraid to ask for help. A book that I feel like was circulating a lot last year was this book called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. And there's this beautiful scene of the horse, he's, he represents power um, and strength. And one of the things the boy asks the horse, he says, what is the bravest thing you've ever said? Help, said the horse. When have you been at your strongest, asked the boy. When I've, when I've dared to show my weakness. I got emotional in that part during the first service too and I was kind of surprised by it. I was asking myself the question like why? Why did I get emotional? I think how I would answer that, I I think hope is just a really safe place to be weak and to be reminded of God's mercy and grace for you. And I've felt the goodness of his grace in my own life. This is real. This is not made up. This is good news. I think I also can't help but get emotional if there is someone sitting there. It's like, this is good news, but I'm just, I don't know. This is too good to be true. It's true. But maybe you're in this place where you've received his grace and mercy, his kindness, And you just need to be reminded of the goodness of your salvation. What a a time to let joy rush back into your life where we're in this Christmas season and being just reminded of what Jesus came to do to save and rescue the lost. And maybe you're overwhelmed 
by the goodness of Jesus, and you're so eager to serve him. I love the the application that Jesus gives this man and us. In the very end of our passage today, it says, as he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. And Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. You see, after this man had been restored, he's like, I don't want to be away from Jesus. Like, I've experienced the goodness and redemption of being near him, and I don't want him to leave. I'm ready to be his disciple. Do you see just his eagerness and wanting to follow Jesus? But Jesus tells him something else. He says, no, what I want you to do is I want you to stay here in your community, and I want you to go out and tell of the mercy and grace that you have received from me. And so what that means for us If you are a recipient of his grace and mercy, you don't have to go to a third world country, and that's a really good thing to do and be a missionary, but the reality and the truth is that you can be a missionary here in your city. You can move to those that are in your community group. You can move towards your friends. You can move towards your coworkers, towards your family, and you can tell of the ways that Jesus has given you mercy and grace. And the cool thing about this story is you read later on when Jesus returns to this area, he's met in a different way. People bring the sick to him. They want others to experience the good things that Jesus had done in this man. And so that's our our sending out. As you go home for Christmas or as you're around family and friends, we get this opportunity to be conduits of grace, to tell of the mercy and grace that Jesus has done in our own life, to bring hope to the hopeless and shine light in the darkness. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the gift of this morning and thank you for the gift of this, um, this strange passage and the way that your power is on full display. I pray that the truth and reality would, would sink down into our hearts and that we would believe it, that you are powerful and there's nothing we've done that repels you, that you draw near. Thank you for your mercy and grace. In your name, amen.